Hi, I'm Becky. And I'm Helen. And welcome to another episode of the Salty Mums podcast. Exploring how as Christian mums we stay the salt of the earth in today's culture with women sharing their stories and wisdom. Hello. Hi, everybody. How are you doing this week, Helen? Yeah, I don't think there's anything notable in my week, really. How about you? It's one of those slightly annoying weeks when your child decides to have uh, an illness when... <clears throat> Sorry, excuse me. This isn't that illness. Uh, where <laughs> they're, they're perfectly well in themselves, but not allowed back into preschool oh, for a week. That's so, annoying. And I feel bad saying that because he's such a happy little chappy, my Henry. But um, And they're delighted to be around. But I also had plans. Absolutely. And if you want them at home, you want them proper sick. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, then you. they sit on the sofa and watch TV and don't actually do anything. Give you nice sicky cuddles. Yeah. yeah. I like that. <laughs> So, yeah, but other than that, good week. It feels like spring's on its I way I know, now. it's a bit warmer this morning, isn't it? I like, know. not bubble hat warm. Yeah. I mean, no, not bubble hat cold. <laughs> you knew what I meant. I know what you meant. <laughs> well, this week, we've got an amazing guest. <laughs> She's beautiful. <laughs> wow. She is intelligent. She's incredibly articulate. Oh, don't stop. She is you. <laughs> oh, yeah. We have a different one this week. It's just the two of us having a chat it's a bit lonely in here isn't it but oh i don't know you're enough though oh thanks anyway uh today (laughs) becky is very excitingly going to be sharing her story with us um uh, so you've probably heard picked up bits of becky's story along the way but today is really just um a space for her to share from beginning to where we're up to now yeah so welcome becky to your own (laughs) podcast (laughs) feels very weird I i think i should say um first um as a sort of bit of trigger warning um there's quite a lot about whether it's all about baby loss this week so yeah just in case you want to move on amazing so do you want to give us some background becky who you are who you married to yeah okay this feels a bit weird on our own podcast but (laughs) (laughs) um so i'm becky and i've got two boys george and henry and i'm married to gerard and um we've also got a third child who's unfortunately not living um who died in 2016 called aurelia and she was your first she's my first yeah first baby yeah so do you want to talk to us about what your early pregnancy was like um you've already alluded to the fact that unfortunately aurelia didn't survive but did you have an inkling at that time or was it were you just blissfully unaware yeah it's weird because we we had literally like you know, you know how you plan to have a baby and it all falls into place. Mm. And we did the marriage course to make sure, our, you know, we'd oiled the wheels as such of a marriage. We'd um, made sure we were fine financially, mm. all these things. <clears throat> and we fell pregnant the first month we tried with her. Wow. And um, I felt really good. I'm one of these annoying people who actually likes being pregnant <laughs> <laughs> until about 36 <clears throat> weeks because I seem to grow really big babies, which yeah hurt my hips but um um and like generally I was really well and was blissfully unaware our 12-week scan was fine we had this lovely evening out to celebrate Mm. and to five guys in the cinema and it's just yeah in this blissful state of hope and future parenthood and um but there was one weird thing looking back and I still don't know what it is I don't know whether it's from God or whether it was my <clears throat> body telling me something wasn't quite right. Um, but I was over in um, Belfast for work 
and I was about nine weeks pregnant and I had a bit of spotting mm. <clears throat> and um my colleagues took me off to the Ulster to get checked and um uh, the Ulster's a hospital just in case it sounds a bit weird <laughs> took me to the Ulster <laughs> to get checked yeah. um <clears throat> and um I they I did a pregnancy test that was all fine um, and they said, I'll come back in the morning to have a an early scan. So we went home. And um, that night I had this dream. Um, and that I'd had this baby and she was really disfigured yeah. and poorly, essentially. And all these doctors were trying to take her away from me. Mm. And I woke up and I mean, my heart was racing, wow. you know, I was you know maybe maybe it was just fear and anxiety but <clears throat> it's just strange the mm. this sort of thing of yeah the sort of that her body wasn't as it should be mm. seemed to well it'll make sense later on <clears throat> but um yeah other than that we were sort of just blissfully unaware and just mm. really excited and um yeah just excited to to meet her mm. and to have the baby mm. And at what point did that change? At what point did you find out? So we went for a 20-week scan. Um, and I think everyone worries about the 12-week scan. Yeah. Because everyone thinks, oh, that's when you find out if you had a mis- miscarriage or, um, you know, some of the conditions were made to be aware of during pregnancy. So I just thought the 20-week scan was just a quick check that mm. everything was fine. and <clears throat> um, And I remember... The sonographer kept um, squinting at the screen and looking really puzzled. And um, my husband, he was just looking at the screen and looking really excited. Mm. And and I just kept noticing it. But I was like, oh, it's fine. She's pro- probably the computer's playing up or something. <clears throat> and I remember very vividly her saying, um, I'm just going to go get my colleague um or maybe oh I say I remember it vividly but maybe I don't remember it quite as vividly as I thought because I can't remember whether she said the baby's arms and legs are measuring shorter than expected I'll go I need to go get my colleague or whether it was her colleague that informed us but then I do remember this pause when there was for some reason no other people in the room other than me and Gerard and it was like there was this sort of still small voice saying I'm not going to give you anything you can't handle. Wow. Um, alongside this flash b- before my eyes of like all my hopes for my child mm. being dashed, mm. I suppose. Um, it was, yeah, it's, it's, I suppose it reminded me a bit of how people talk about their, you know, a near death experience and your life flashing before your eyes. It was a bit like that, but in a life not yet lived mm. as such, really. Mm. So at that point, were they sure what what it was? What was the suggestion from that point? So we had this weekend when we assumed that our baby had a form of dwarfism, Mm. which she did, actually. But we, you know, we Googled people with, I think it's a chondroplasia, which Mm. is like the most common form of dwarfism. And um, we were, we were really distraught but not because we didn't want our baby any less Mm. it was more a case of 
<clears throat> sorry, excuse me. <clears throat> it was more a case of we knew how much tougher it would be for mm-hmm. her in society. Mm-hmm. Actually, we didn't know it was a her at the moment uh, at that point. Um, and we knew that there was stuff that we wouldn't be able to protect our child from. Mm-hmm. Not that you can protect your child anyway, but you're sort of hope- more hopeful mm-hmm. of it, aren't you, in the beginning. Um, but we were, we went back, it was either the Monday or the Tuesday after, and we went to see a consultant. And before she'd even scanned us, she said, if the measurements are right on this, then it's actually much more serious. Mm. And I was just, yeah, I, I I don't even know what the word was. I was just not sideways, really, because mm. I thought we'd had the worst mm. of the news. Um, anyway, she scanned her and um, she picked up on various things, like her legs were quite bowed and um, as well as being very short um but the the key thing was she scanned her chest cavity um and this is at 21 weeks by now and her chest cavity hadn't grown since 13 weeks mm. so she actually then broke the news that she had she thought the baby had something called thanatopharic dysplasia um oh that, that. yeah <laughs> um and like the than the thanat to Farrakh, the the Thanos there comes from the Greek for death bearing, so it's effectively mm-hmm. death bearing dwarfism. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and she said, "Look, no babies survive this. Um, we've we've not had any babies survive more than a few hours Goodness from this. Um, you had a one in sixty four thousand chance, <whistles> and unfortunately, you drew the bad odds. You're that one. So." We were given three options. I say options. It wasn't really options. It was second op- uh, second opinion, termination, and extra blood tests. Um, because there was a chance it was this other condition, which is effectively like brittle bone disease mm-hmm. with dwarfism. Um, and I have to admit, I was praying it wasn't that, because at least with what Aurelia had... Um, she wasn't in any pain Mm. she just wouldn't grow enough and wouldn't be able to survive outside the womb so um and we didn't even know that she'd survive to birth to be honest there's some babies just slip away um but we had that second opinion and he confirmed that and then sort of yeah we decided to carry on the pregnancy um really against medical advice Mm. when you say we decided like Mm. I can imagine that wasn't just a what should we do yeah let's carry it on like what was the process of that kind of deciding were you both always Mm. on the same page about that did you were other people consulted on that or was it just a clear Um, message yeah it was fairly clear actually amazing especially when we were we were um told she wouldn't suffer Mm -hmm. at all um I um I was working for an amazing charity called Biblica at the time who, um, they're the translators of the NIV Bible. So I had lots of Christian colleagues and quite a lot of Christian colleagues that had worked in publishing. Mm -hmm. So one of my colleagues contacted me and said, you need to read this book called The Shaming of the Strong by Mm -hmm. Sarah Williams. And her daughter had, or son, I can't remember which, sorry, um, 
had exactly the same condition yeah. and she decided to carry on the pregnancy and I read the book and I was like that's what I want wow um and Gerard my husband really agreed we wanted time there was a chance we might get an hour or two with her when she'd be you know after mm-hmm. being born um and we decided that was that was what we wanted there were people who disagreed with us mm. um some in a respectful way some in a not so respectful way so I had one person phone me up and said when are you going to get it sorted <gasps> i.e when are you going to go and have a termination and I, I do want to say there's no there's no judgment from me for people who make a different choice mm. um in the sense of One, from a personal perspective of of being there, I've made that decision. Mm-hmm. And the thought of your child suffering is um, so frightening. Mm-hmm. And obviously you don't want to willingly let your child suffer. And I think obviously that's why most parents make that choice with a, you know, if a child has a disability and they're offered a termination. But also, I do think, because I, I, um, I think there is a lot of pressure from hospitals, mm-hmm. from doctors, to have a termination. Mm-hmm. And options aren't always really explained. And even with things like Down syndrome, I've, you know, I've known of Down sy- par- uh, parents where the children have been diagnosed with Down syndrome and they've had terminations booked for them before they've even mm-hmm. consented. So there's a lot of social pressure mm-hmm or medical pressure there mm. too um and i do yeah so i think so there's, there's no judgment from me mm. of, of parents who mm. may make that decision so mm. fast forward then to the to the bit where you basically know that she's not gonna mm. survive um yeah. but you're still pregnant with her what yeah. what was i can't imagine what that feeling must have been like did you just want to hold on to every single moment of her (laughs) slow time down yeah and we did we did a lot it was was always with a tinge of sadness but I know it might seem sound bizarre to other people but we went to London Aquarium Mm -hmm. and uh, I grew up in the Peak District so we took her to Chatsworth Mm -hmm. and you know we we made memories Mm -hmm. with whilst I was pregnant with her um I bought my husband a birthday present for her and um um and it was strange it was really strange at times but I was semi-protected by pregnancy hormones Mm -hmm. in that I was just in some ways quite a normal Mm mum full of quite you know feeling good in a pregnancy and and sort of a bit blissfully unaware which Mm -hmm. sounds bizarre because obviously I was totally aware Mm -hmm. at the same time and there were moments I, I remember um being at home on my own one day and I literally shouted at God I was like Mm. you only lost your son for three days I've lost my daughter forever Mm. (laughs) fair point well made (laughs) um and yeah and there were there were weird things I remember I went to Marks and Spencer's in Brent Cross it's weird the things that you remember (laughs) isn't it and I is it a nice one it was a nice one Good. and I <laughs> I love Brent Cross I miss it um <laughs> um and I bought a dress 
for Aurelia, knowing it would be the dress she'd be buried in. Mm. And I went home and sobbed after that mm. because you're not meant to buy a dress for your brand new daughter to, to mm. yeah. And I was, I also spent about half an hour looking at it because I didn't know what size she'd be mm. um, because of a, of a dwarfism. And I was like, do I buy her like preemie size mm. or, or what? But um, and yeah, I think I found it quite hard to make decisions during that time other mm. than other things. But I'm quite, th- there was lots to do in preparation. So I made a blanket for to have and things like this. And I kept quite busy and mm-hmm. it was all, yeah, it was almost like a mum nesting, mm-hmm. but in a slightly twisted mm dark way really Mm. um yeah was there things in that time that um people church family or non-church family did that were helpful Mm. and or unhelpful I just remembered that that's actually how we we uh, we met kind of because I was in a home group with a bunch of ladies (laughs) who were praying for a lady called Becky who had a daughter called Aurelia yeah. uh, who wasn't going to survive. And I had absolutely no idea who you were yeah. and we were praying for you because someone, one of the other people in the group knew you. Yeah. Um, and then, and now look at us. I know it's weird, isn't it? It is weird. And yeah. I do, I do think that is, there was something God was doing behind the scenes mm-hmm. with that because we were living in North London. Mm-hmm. We'd intended to move to Basingstoke. Amazing Stoke. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we'd looked there and just hadn't, got that vibe at all but we had a couple of friends who lived nearby here great MS in basingstoke is there just throwing it out there oh yeah. i've never been shopping in basingstoke never been oh i love a basingstoke shop oh you have to take tiger me. as well i love I a tiger, tiger. Yeah. i love a tiger anyway yeah. we digress <laughs> and um yeah um i we we looked around farnborough and we had I actually put we put a house offering to a, a lady in that group that you're talking yes. about, and yeah, we only realised so that six true. months after. But it was actually it actually worked out really well. We didn't get that house because we'd have been stuck in limbo with them. And then I wrote to the people whose house we got and got twenty five thousand pounds knocked off the house offer. Did you play play the grief card? No, I didn't. It was, <laughs> it was actually before we got the diagnosis, and I just I used Kirsty Olsop's tip of writing to someone and saying we've got no chain we shout want to bring out to our family. Sop. i know that bit of our, uh, family um uh, we want to bring off our family in this house and they're not 25 grand off it was amazing happy days yeah um Thanks, but then we, we managed to move here quite quickly it meant we we're under a different hospital which were actually more supportive mm-hmm. and we were better cared for there it was there's so many things mm. actually actually it meant we could also get my dog, which my my. I know Helen's not a big fan of pets. <laughs> I'm like, mm, lovely. <sighs> I don't mention you. the rabbit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's for another day. Um, <laughs> but, I'll tell uh, you my story one day. <laughs> it's very different vibes. Yeah. It's um, it's safe to say she's not a pet person. <laughs> <laughs> but um, like Lottie was like a big our dog, our Labrador was a big part of my healing journey, mm-hmm. and um. Yeah, it just, like, I don't think God caused what happened to Aurelia, but he certainly put stuff around us mm. to make it easier. I've forgotten the question now. Uh, it was, if there any, is there anything oh, supportive se- or unsupportive? helpful. Um, um, well, so supportive was just people acknowledging 
her as a person i think mm. did you think people found it awkward yeah massively you? massively and we definitely had people who avoided us um but then there were people like some of our friends from nottingham they sent this beautiful frame of her name like mm. all beautifully decorated like you would do for a newborn baby sure. um and other people just came around us and like just helped us practically so when we were moving out of London basically half our church turned up and helped me pack and clean Mm. the house top to bottom because I was 28 weeks pregnant Mm. and packing moving boxes Mm. (laughs) trying to clean it was not and I also had something called um not hydrocephalus high because that's on the brain hydra something which basically meant I had excess amniotic fluid so a lot of water yeah I looked like 40 weeks pregnant (laughs) when I was 28 weeks pregnant so um uh but unhelpfully i think with some of the more spiritual stuff so um like people kept and i actually held my boundaries on this in the end people kept offering to pray for healing for aurelia Mm. and by that time we'd come to a point of acceptance Mm -hmm. and that actually maybe passing away was a form of healing mm. for her which it sounds strange when you're not in this situation um so we sort of had to stop that and then there was one very persistent person who wasn't at our church but their parents were and she felt like she had a prophetic word for us and I was like then put it to our church leaders we were at Salvation mm. Army Church said so put it to our officers first and they will tell it me tell mm-hmm. it to me if because if they feel it's appropriate but they left voicemails on our phone, oh my goodness. like being really persistent. And I was, I was not having any of it. Um, That's really wise. Yeah. Well, Becky, well done. Well, I don't <laughs> I was, it's that kind of thing of like being a protect, like being mm. a, a mama bear, isn't mm. it? Sort of, I was in that mode, I think the whole time. Um, But yeah. And I think the thing goes with, and it, this applies to afterwards as well. If you want, if someone's going through something traumatic, if your sentence can be with, begin with at least, don't say don't it. Don't say it. Yeah. It's come up before in the podcast, hasn't it? <laughs> yeah, I think. And it's... interestingly, just as you were saying about like acknowledging it, I was thinking back, I'm sure we've talked about it before in a different episode about, you know, sometimes you're there thinking, oh, maybe I don't want to upset you yeah. or I don't want to address it if actually you're having a good day and you don't want to remember it. But actually mm-hmm. by not saying anything you're doing, yeah. you're being more hurtful than um than saying it yeah yeah you can't ignore it because mm. it's just reality and I think I learned to be quite forgiving of people mm. because I realized actually that babe baby loss is a, such a huge taboo mm-hmm. still it's definitely got better even in the last six years but people it's such an injustice in people's minds it's so out of sync with how the world should be mm. um that people just don't want to engage mm, with it it mm. makes them too uncomfortable yeah and it's usually about them not you but doesn't make it very doesn't make it, it makes it easier mm. when you accept that but it's, it's such a private like it has been in the past such a private thing mm. lots of the time hasn't it and I, I don't think that's a healthy thing you know mm. when you're going through something like this which is the biggest thing probably the biggest yeah. loss you will ever feel why yeah. would you as a human being want to be private about that like surely you want to share even people that don't overshare like me uh (laughs) like 
surely you need that's the time when you need your people (laughs) you need them to know absolutely and I mean that's classic with miscarriage isn't it early Mm, miscarriage yeah and you know it's why you don't tell people Mm. that you're pregnant before Mm. 12 weeks but maybe we need to start being more real because actually in those first 12 weeks you often feel sick Mm. you you need some support yeah yeah Yeah. and if I did miscarriage fortunately we 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 never went through that but if I had I've done even before 12 weeks I certainly would have wanted support for that mm. and, and people around me yeah mm. but it's sort of a put up and shut up isn't it about mm, it still yeah. um I think that's getting better again mm. but um yeah there's still definitely a feeling of especially if before 12 weeks you've got to kind of book up and mm, yeah you're you're the one in yeah. four you know mm. it happens a lot mm. so what but yeah um sorry it's all right so do you want to tell us a bit about then the birth, what it was actually like in hospital? Mm. Was that a good experience for you? We Good, were... sorry, that's a terrible phrasing of question. No, no, no. I Because th- I, th- I, I actually, some of my happiest times ever were those days in hospital. Mm. <laughs> like just, um, it was very, very bittersweet. So we were amazingly lucky because we're... our local hospital has an incredible bereavement midwife team at the time there's three I think there's only two now but um they have a special suite so we were in this um suite of three rooms so you had a clinical room um where I labored most of the time and then like in between and then there was like it it would look like a hotel bedroom Mm. it meant Gerard could stay there and that's where we spent some time after Aurelia was born and then in the middle like this big bathroom with a massive bath and you know and all all that you need from a bathroom um and it was (laughs) (laughs) toilet sink bog brush in case you leave no No b-day not not that i use a b-day but (laughs) not everything you need from the toilet then (laughs) oh dear (laughs) i don't know what do you say sometimes everything you need from a bathroom that's that's the problem (laughs) That's the problem with the podcast. It records all the stupid things that you say. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, um, yeah. So, and it it was near the labour suite. Like I did, I could hear occasionally women in labour, but I think that's because it was really hot and we had all the windows mm-hmm. open. But you were away from it um, and protected from it. And then I basically had midwives waiting on me hand and foot. <laughs> I always had my own midwife, basically um around nearly all the time and I was induced on the Tuesday sent home to see if that works and but by the Wednesday morning I was having contractions so went back in and then I wasn't in anywhere near established labor but they were like you can stay in if you want I was like yes please (laughs) um and I just sat on a blooming birthing ball and bounced my way through that day I was so determined and in fact the next two days um and it took from that Wednesday morning 48 hours to get into labor. And there was, that was after they'd like ramped up the syntocin. And oh my goodness, that stuff is painful once it gets going. Um, <laughs> um, but we had an amazing consultant as well who was very supportive. She knew we'd, we'd had time with her discussing the birth plan. We knew that one she was born we would have a pediatric team literally outside the door so if Mm. she did try and breathe they'd swoop in make her comfortable 
um you know they weren't trying to extend her life as such but just try and make sure that she is was nice and comfortable um and um yeah it was incredible and even um my this sounds very convoluted my husband's cousin one of her really good friends was a registrar in the doctor in this in this hospital and she was working in obs and gynae at the time she popped in to see us and Aww. it was just really really special and it felt like we had this team cheering us on um and i finally went into labor on the thursday evening um i had an epidural which was so good shout out to the epidurals oh I'd been so sore for weeks and I was just comfortable again it was incredible um and the consultant and the midwife came in at midnight to scan me and they basically said we don't know whether or really all have survived the trauma Mm -hmm. of this induction and (laughs) it's this incredible it was so quiet and dark in the hospital and they put the uh, heartbeat thing on and there's this amazing galloping heartbeat. Oh, wow. It's so strong. And I could always see the relief in the consultant yeah. and the midwife. And then the midwife stayed with me for the next two hours and we just um we just talked. Mm-hmm. I felt like I'd like it was just real soul sharing mm. and it was beautiful really really beautiful and there was just this incredible electric piece of expectancy mm-hmm. um and i remembered it must have been about two or three in the morning that um our old salvation army officer had sent me a text and it was a, a psalm that kept coming back through the pregnancy like people um kept sharing with me and it's um about like god is our refuge and strength and ever present help in trouble and then there's this bit at the end Oh, yeah, this is it. So it's verse five. So it says, God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at the break of day. Mm. And the consultant had said to me, look, if you're not in labor, proper, proper, proper labor by seven o'clock tomorrow morning when I'm back on, then you're having a cesarean, Mm -hmm. which would have had big implications for us because we wouldn't have been able to hold her in the same way Mm -hmm. um, if we'd have just had like minutes with her. And I knew at that point that something was going to happen. And lo and behold, when uh, the consultant came in, I was not only in labor. This is, I'm sorry if this is too much information. (laughs) Never. (laughs) Aurelia was a footling breech baby. So her feet came out first. And when the consultant uh, went to check me, not only was I established labor, there was a little foot there. (laughs) But it meant she was on her way. She's, She's coming. Yeah. And then five hours later, she was born wow yeah and it was beautifully bittersweet and mm-hmm. she just literally fell asleep on my chest and that was that was it wow. but the hospital had a photographer took photos mm-hmm. of us as a family i then had to be whisked off to surgery because i'd lost two liters of blood wow. but the surgeons were so respectful they were silent the whole time i was mm-hmm. holding her the whole time i was in surgery and then the midwives heard I was in recovery and we called the chaplain at the hospital to come and bless her mm. and the midwives who'd been working non-stop with me for hours they and had finally got a break with mm. me being in surgery came down and um to be with us while she was blessed wow. it's just such a 
human and loving thing mm. to do. And this then, is like the NHS at its absolute yeah. best. Absolutely. Shout out to Frimley Park Hospital. Yeah. And there's one of the midwives as well came back at the end of her shift, bearing in mind Aurelia had died six hours earlier and she, she, she was in a cold cot by this to give us time with her. Um, and she kissed her goodbye. Oh. And I think that's probably the most beautiful thing mm. anyone's ever done for me. Mm. She'll never, well, maybe she'll listen to this, but <laughs> she'll never know what that mm. action mm. meant. But, um, yeah. So talk to us then about the about after this so at some point you you have to leave yeah. the hospital was that the hardest bit was there other bits of it that yeah. were so the the few days after were were okay and grandparents came and met her mm-hmm. we took handprints we gave her a bath um dressed her which all sounds very morbid if you've not been through it but it was actually really helpful mm. um but i woke up uh, it had been a Sunday morning, so she was born the Friday afternoon. And previously, I'd, if I'd woke, if I'd been near her and looked at her, it was just like looking at a sleeping baby. And there was this really weird feeling in the room, um, and I just had to get away. Mm-hmm. And I was like, "No, we've got to, we've got to get out of here now, Gerard." So they discharged us, but then that was the hardest bit mm-hmm. was making my feet walk out of that mm-hmm. room. But um, a good a good friend Zoe who runs saying goodbye um who'd been messaging me I mean we, I think we must have exchanged thousands of messages she said you're not leaving her you're giving her to Jesus mm. and that I think was the only thing that carried me out of that hospital mm. that day um and when I get got home <laughs> I I remember people saying when people lose a child they make there's like this like I don't know um animalistic howl people do and I was like whatever but I remember crying and hearing this noise coming out of myself and not and then realizing it was me Mm. um just this wrench of you know having no baby in your arms Mm. um but actually those first two weeks despite the 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 awful initialness uh, awfulness of the initial shock of leaving her were okay because I was planning a funeral mm. it was the bit after mm. when everyone else went back to normal that was horrendous for me and even even my husband he went back to work at that point mm. we had a, we had a week off together and then he went back to work and it felt like the whole world should have stopped because mm. it had for me mm. and dad's in 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 these grief stories especially around baby loss mm. they you know they don't often get remembered it's you know it's it's dads don't often get remembered in the same way in in mm. terms of it, it's their loss as well is yeah. there um wisdom you can share with us about about what Gerard went through in that yeah he had a very different journey from me we both used to go to church and he lost his faith through mm. this experience and we definitely grieved in very different ways but what I'd say is talk and talk Mm. and talk and talk and talk and share as much as possible and that's I think that's much harder for men Mm. to do and often they can be reluctant to do Mm. so but you will have to at some point Mm. um and I'd say also get professional help Mm. to talk that through as well um it's something like only one in four marriages survive child loss 
Um, wow. So, yeah, the odds are against mm. you. And that's not to add pressure to someone no. going through those kind of things. But it's that's why I'd say get a therapist mm. or something to talk it through. Um, yeah, because it's really hard. Mm. You you grieve parts of your marriage as well. It's mm. not just grieving mm. the, the child loss. You, you lose your naivety or innocence mm. in some ways. I remember the day after our diagnosis, I heard um, Adele's When We Were Young song. And I really, I was like, yeah, we, we were young yesterday mm. and we're old today. Um, which sounds a bit... I think it's true yeah. though, isn't it? I mean, my husband and I process things generally life mm. so incredibly differently yeah. you know we can't really agree on what to do with when we're renovating a bathroom <laughs> <laughs> and you know we process those kind of things so differently like yeah. we our outlook on life is so different um and to put something as massive as this mm. slap bang in the middle of your marriage I just yeah absolute hats off to you for working that through I know that's you know still a work in progress and it probably will be yeah. forever because marriage is isn't it but yeah amazing what do you mean that we can't just get everything sorted on marriage just like that if only <laughs> <laughs> if there was a pill I'd make him take it <laughs> not yourself but just absolutely Phil. not it's, I'm not the problem <laughs> it's nothing to do with me I think we should get Phil on for his side <laughs> of the <opinion. laughs> um has has your grief changed so you see, this was six years ago mm. do you think your grief has changed over the years is it um is it still something you think of daily I do find days now where I th- I think I think of it every day but mm. maybe in a more fleeting way mm-hmm. um sounds like a really stupid thing to say but I think I grieved quite well mm-hmm. um I think that sort of hope of that I'll see her again one day mm has really helped me um and I think having my boys afterwards didn't replace her at all mm-hmm. and there's grief tied up with that and there's I you know grief bubbles up in mm-hmm. weird ways like I was sorting out baby clothes recently and I ended up sobbing because I realized I wasn't ever going to have a daughter to pass these two because we've decided that's it now but and Gerald just found like this me going, I can't throw these these clothes away or give them to charity and he was like, just put them in the loft then dear. Like, <laughs> it's fine. Um, put them in the loft either. Yeah. <laughs> um but um yeah, it's it's definitely changed and I I do like that analogy of how you always have that grief but your life grows around mm. it. And I think that's why mm. it bubbles up occasionally and takes you by surprise really the things that do take you by surprise um and you still very much mark her birthdays don't yeah. you I love that she's she's buried in a village by the sea and again we, that was a weird thing I, I just had this sense when I was pregnant I was like I want her by the sea I want her by the sea and my husband grew up by the sea so we asked the vicar at the church and he said even if we didn't have room we'd make room for her Aww. it was amazing so um yeah, so we always go to the beach on her birthday and we have either fish and chips or a picnic and we have a birthday cake and we and every year so far it's been beautifully hot and sunny on her birthday. Wow. So we have a swim and it's just beautiful. And we go lay some flowers on her grave, but I'm I'm not that um I like her grave to be kept nicely, but 
I'm not religious. That's probably the wrong word about going to put... <laughs> wrong <yeah>. podcast. <laughs> <laughs> about putting flowers on mm-hmm. her grave all the time or things like that. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Mark, you know, we, we talk about stories about mm-hmm. her and times, you know, we think about her. And my my youngest, Henry, has got her profile so we often catch a glimpse of her mm. in his face, which is really beautiful. The boys talk about her as well. Yeah, George, my eldest. Mm. Um, I think he nearly made you cry once, didn't he? He did. <laughs> I can't remember his exact <laughs> words. I, th- I think the thing that shook me most once is um, he's got one of those toddler Bibles and oh, he yeah. ran in and he's like, Mummy, look, it's Jesus in Aurelia. And there's Jesus on the front carrying a little baby. Mm. <laughs> so I went, oh, okay. <laughs> oh. Um, so yeah, he's got a really beautiful... Henry's a bit more nonchalant about things, but he's more nonchalant about everything, really. Henry's in a little world of his own. Isn't yeah. He? yeah, space cadet. Yeah. <laughs> I love them. Sunday morning, this is totally aside, Sunday morning, um, Becky's boys in groups are literally all over each other. Like, they absolutely <laughs> like, love dog at home. being... <laughs> together like it's just bizarre in fact one of the other leaders to me on sunday said um is that normal that siblings like each other so much i was like i'm not sure it's always necessarily reciprocated but henry definitely is absolutely obsessed with george as soon as george goes to a different group he's uh where's george where's george they do love each other but they do find like cat and dog as well at home i wish they're a bit more loving at home sometimes but um it's very sweet they're lovely boys yeah (laughs) well Thank you, Becky. If, if there's anybody um, listening that's going through grief that's similar to you, you've mm. already mentioned getting professional help, is there um, other places you want to signpost people to? Yeah, so the one I'd advocate mainly is um, saying goodbye, run by, uh, run by Zoe Clark Coates. She um, does amazing work. They do these incredible remembrance services mm. in cathedrals across the land and sometimes virtual ones and um she has written some books as well which i think i've not sorry zoe i've not actually read them (laughs) but um but um they i know a lot of uh, parents find them very helpful um if you want to read a little bit more of the detail of our story i did a, a blog at the time called golden gift um dot wordpress.com because that's so, what Aurelia meant the name, yeah yes. yeah the arena Aurelia means golden um so yeah I think those are the two places mm. I'd signpost but I'll in the show notes I'll try and think of some more um organizations and put some links to them below Great, too I've just um I've just realized I've got one more question <laughs> oh, okay <laughs> it Go was actually it. when you were talking about Zoe that um made me think about it because Zoe's focus is on baby loss isn't mm-hmm. it and would you is that where you kind of identified your grief in the baby loss community because essentially Mm. you carried her to term she was born would you still class that as kind of a baby loss yeah I kind of I I always felt we sat somewhere weird in in it because I think I didn't belong with the like I I belong with the baby loss community obviously because she's a baby and we lost her as a baby Mm. and I can identify with a lot of the feelings that people in the baby loss community have but I felt like there was also this sense of actually, on the one hand, people maybe who've decided to have terminations for medical reasons would think we were weird for carrying on. Mm. People who had stillbirths maybe thought we were weird for carrying on. 
Um, and it's so few parents make the decision that we did. Mm. Um, and I, I did quite a lot of work with the disability community afterwards and I felt most at home there, mm. but then I hadn't, I haven't ever brought up a child with a mm. disability. So I have always felt a little bit lost mm. in that really. Um, and I'm, I think sometimes I'm paranoid about people's judgment mm. and it maybe isn't a judgment there, but, um, I think there probably is from some people and it's made me feel a bit, um, yeah, not knowing where mm. to, to go with that. Um, and I just, I suppose I'd encourage anyone if they ever face that kind of decision, do what's best for you mm. at the end of the day, follow your instincts and be comfortable with that and find other people mm. if you can. I guess our society wants to, and and therefore us, especially I think as women, sometimes we want to fit, don't we? We want our, yeah. we want to go into a group and yeah. know that we're the same as those people yeah, or we welcome or whatever. And yeah. yeah, we want to belong, but, um, but that, that can look different, can't it? For yeah. So many people. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe there's people that have experienced in inverted commas, more normal baby loss mm. that still don't feel like they fit yeah. into a community. So yeah, Absolutely. it's encouraging to, and I would say actually one one last piece of advice if you sh- if you're shortly pregnant again after having a baby be careful how much you engage with the baby loss community mm. not they can be supportive but I think also you enter a world where you see everything that mm-hmm. could go wrong with mm-hmm. the pregnancy and if you're someone maybe slightly anxious like I am <laughs> it's not always very helpful sure. um you know find a pregnancy after loss group mm. or something like that rather than a baby loss group i can't imagine the anxiety you must have had afterwards anyway another episode (laughs) (laughs) there's been so um i i don't want to say lovely to hear your story because it's obviously Mm. a really tragic story but i think just the the glimmers of hope in that and um the fact Mm. that looking back you can totally see that um that god was kind of had his hand in the mixing pot and Mm. doesn't didn't like the situation any more than we do and, yeah. and it wasn't his plan but he worked through that and mm. um but she's also fully created in his image which absolutely. is the, the mystery Bizarre. of it all yeah um and yeah I, I don't i'm happy to have that as a mystery mm. i know it's true in my heart but yeah we don't understand everything do we no. the mystery of god yeah Anyway, um, I'm going to pray for you and us now, if that's okay. (laughs) Dear Lord God, we are thankful for Aurelia. We're thankful that every tiny human being is made in your image. And and God, we don't understand that. Um, And God, we still weep that Aurelia couldn't live. Mm. And all those other people that are listening who are weeping for babies or children or others that they have lost father we weep for them Mm. we're thank thankful in in becky's life that that you didn't let go that you still you still had your hand over her life you still do have your hand over her life and god i do pray for anybody listening that is still in that raw weeping stage that you would make it clear to them that your hand is still in their life too that despite the pain and the loss that you're still there walking right next to them so father we give you these um 
lovely people that are listening and we give you ourselves and we pray your kingdom come amen amen just as we were praying i had a little uh a little thing pop in my head you know the footprints poem my favorite poem of all time uh just yeah that image that someone might need to know that they're being carried by god at the moment and that god hasn't left them but there's Mm. one set of footprints in the sand because god has you even though you can't necessarily acknowledge that or feel that right now yeah bit holy for a casual tuesday (laughs) afternoon wasn't it apologies for that everybody back to to business no i love it love it love a bit of holy spirit um well thanks so much helen for letting me share this thanks for having me thanks for having me (laughs) even though we planned it it's been really really good i've you're very articulate and lovely to chat to becky well you're a very good questioner yeah nice to chat (laughs) how do we end a podcast with ourselves i know i know it's weird Remember, all the links that we've talked about today can be found on our show notes. If you've enjoyed the podcast today, please do remember to hit subscribe if you haven't done already. And even better, you can help us reach a wider audience by giving a quick review on whichever platform you're listening on. See you next time. Bye. Heard snippets of it along the way if you've been listening to other um, sessions, other episodes. There's another little uh, thing to... uh... I just choked on my own spit. (laughs) I did put a little clangor at the end of this episode. (laughs) Oh, I haven't got that far yet. Yeah, well, we'll do... There's a clangor for this episode. (laughs) Clangor!